Shalom and blessings. This is Pastor Clifton McDowell Sr. here at the Church of God of East New York, located in the heart of Brooklyn. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray this week's sermon blesses and encourages you for the journey. God bless. Now enjoy the sermon. I'm going to ask that you to remain standing. I'm going to ask that we would just together read from the book of Matthew, uh, Mark, excuse me, from the book of Mark, chapter 15. And we're going to start reading at verse 22. And so we honor the Lord, honor our first lady and to all of our ministers and leaders and to the household of faith, to you. Thank God for you and we honor you. Out of the book of Mark, it says, They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, divided up his clothes, and they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charges or the charge against him read, The king of the Jews, they crucified him, crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross, save yourself. In the same way, the chief priest and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let the Messiah, let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabethani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled the sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. He said with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely, surely, this man, this man was the son of God. You may take your seat. If we had lived in Jerusalem about this time of the year, around the Passover, 
If we had lived there, we would have been in a crowd that would have ushered Jesus into Jerusalem. Some of us would have climbed palm trees. Some of us couldn't climb. <laughs> but others would have taken off their outer garments, their outer coats, and laid them on the streets. But we would have had palm branches in our hands and we would have been crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It would have been a real festive mood as Jesus rode a man on that donkey into Jerusalem. It's the only time in scripture that we see he's riding instead of walking. Further down in this week, many in that same crowd, and I don't know if we had been there, some of us here today and at home, instead of saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, would have been saying, crucify him, crucify him. It's amazing how a crowd can change on you and turn on you in a moment. Folks that... We're looking up and patting you on the back and had nothing but good to say of you. It's amazing how peer pressure from other folks can cause folks to turn on you. Over these last few weeks, we've been traveling through the gardens of our Redeemer. As we have continue to make our way to Easter, to Resurrection Sunday. We went through Eden where mankind's disobedience caused all of mankind to be lost. We went through the desert garden where Jesus triumphed over every test of the enemy. And last week we traveled through Gethsemane when Jesus said yes to the cost of redemption, not my will, but thy will be done. And as we continue on this journey through the gardens of our Redeemer, I submit that we cannot avoid, we cannot bypass a hill. A hill that stands between the Garden of Gethsemane and the garden, the place we know as the Garden Tomb. That hill is called Golgotha or Calvary. I find it interesting that in all four of the gospel accounts of the crucifixion, the place where Jesus was crucified is called in the Hebrew tongue Golgotha, or the skull, the place of the skull. The word Calvary is found in only one single verse in all of the scripture, and in that one verse, it is only in one translation out of all the Bibles, translations. And it's a word that does not come from the Greek, it's a word that comes from the Latin Vulgate. It's a word that says Calvary. 
In Matthew 27, verse 33, it says they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. In Mark 15 that we just read, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, amen, which means the place of the skull. In John 19, 17, it says carrying his own cross, he went out to a place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Then in Luke, in the NIV, and in all the other translations that I've read, it says when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Only in the King James Version did they choose to maintain the word that comes from the Latin. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right and the other on the left. Only in one account. Will you ever see the word Calvary and that only in the King James Version? Although they both refer to the place of the skull, because Calvary and Golgotha are, the definition is the same thing. It is the place of the skull. One comes from the Greek, original Greek, the other comes from Latin. And yet, The songs we sing, how many songs do we sing about Calvary? Was it meant for him? Was it meant for me? Years I spent in vanity and shame, caring not. It was where? At Calvary. How many songs do we sing about Golgotha? Only one song, as I thought about it, only one song came to mind. It was by the Gaithers, where they sung about a battle on a hill. A battle is raging, and it all takes place on Golgotha's hill. Although both Calvary and Golgotha have the same meaning, how many churches do you see have the name Calvary in it? And how many do you see have the name Golgotha in its name. You find one, take a picture of it, send it to me. And it would seem in our modern world we have adopted a subtle yet different view of the cross. A, a view that removes the reality of the whole truth of what actually took place on that hill. Golgotha has come to represent the ugliness of that place. While Calvary seems to point to the glory of that place, the grace, the love, the victory of Calvary. The meaning of its name is emphasized every time we say Golgotha because it literally means the place of the skull. It was a place, and those of you that went to Israel, amen, we've gone to a place and they, wish they shared with us and showed us how it resembles the shape of a skull. Even the sound of the names, the name Golgotha seems cruder, uglier as it comes off the lips. But Calvary, 
It, it almost seems poetic, doesn't it? it? It just cascades off the lips. Calvary. But however, we must remember that Golgotha and Calvary are the same place. They're inseparable. We cannot separate the ugliness of the cross from the glory of the cross. We cannot separate the grace of the cross from the pain of the cross. We cannot separate the victory of the cross from the violence of the cross. Nor can we embrace the power of the cross without embracing the ugliness of the cross as well. This morning on this Palm Sunday, our destination before we get to the garden tomb is a hill called Golgotha. Golgotha is a place of execution. It's the place that our Lord physically died. Physically died. He didn't faint. He didn't swoon and was, and, and was revived. Think how in the world could you have gone through what he went through? Lay in a tomb, an airless tomb, for three days and three nights and think somebody just woke you up. Suffered all the, 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 the torture that he went through. Hanging on that cross for those hours. My friend, he died. He died as a criminal among criminals. This was not the only form of execution that was available in his day. He could have been beheaded. He could have been burnt at the stake. As some of the disciples were. But no form of execution was as shameful and as painful as crucifixion. The Sanhedrin could have asked the Roman government for any form of death. But they chose the worst death imaginable in that time. Crucifixion on a cross. The religious leaders wanted Christ to experience this charlatan, this, this Messiah, this one that keeps showing us up. They wanted him to experience the maximum indignity and shame that could be accomplished by this method that had become a Roman favorite method to deal with rebellion. Can you imagine if you were thinking about rebellion and you saw down a road that you were coming to and you just saw a whole row of folks that were still alive but in excruciating pain, lining the path, or it would cause you to rethink your decision. Golgotha is where punishment was intentional and pain was extended. Unlike the execution of our day, death was not the most important goal. The most important goal was excruciating pain. Pain that was enduring. How can we make somebody suffer for an extended time? And the Romans had perfected the art of crucifixion to produce maximum pain. 
They knew how to prolong the horror, amen, of death without allowing the victim to lap into unconsciousness. They knew how to keep him woke. They knew how to keep him alive, experiencing this pain and anguish. They took great care not to damage vital organs so that they could torture the body without granting the relief of death. Crucifixion extended punishment and prolonged pain. Hanging on the cross, naked, humiliated, our Lord suffered the most painful death known in the ancient world. People could last for days. Days, they could last for days. Jesus suffered on that cross for six hours before his death. Remember when they said, listen, Passover's coming. We don't want him to be hanging here. We, we need you to get this done. Jesus was on the cross for six hours, and Pilate was surprised when Joseph of Arimathea requested his body after only six hours. So you got to remember, nobody took his life. Amen. He laid down his life. Jesus is the one say, that would say, now I'll die. <laughs> but I'm not going to die till I'm ready to die. And that's why I'm so glad he reigns. That's why I'm so glad that I'm in his hands. I know that one day I'm going to leave this place. But it ain't over until he say it's over. Come on, shout hallelujah. Jesus for six hours hung on that cross and I want you to know that no matter how severe the pain in your life may be, no one understands your pain like Jesus. Oh yes, he's touched. We have a high priest who's touched by what touches us. You may be in the medical field and seeing people experience pain like others have never experienced pain. You in your own life may have experienced pain. But I want to tell you that nobody understands your pain like Jesus. He's touched by what we go through. I can remember I used to suffer, really suffer often by migraines. And every now and then, you don't understand unless you've ever had one. Every now and then, it still come, but nothing like it used to be. I remember it got so bad. Amen. This was before I was married. And before I had kids, because that's the order that it's supposed to be done. And I, I was in my room and my head was, it felt like it wanted to burst open. I couldn't open my eyes. I didn't want to hear nothing, didn't want to see nothing. I was just in agony. I couldn't even get to my mother. I remember when it subsided a little bit, I wrote a letter saying goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, Deb. <laughs> goodbye, Mom. Goodbye, Val. Goodbye, Cheryl. Goodbye, Bob. Because I really didn't think I'd make it. But I thank God I'm still here. Anybody glad you're still here? Things may not be perfect in your life. There may be some challenges. But I wonder, is anybody still glad that you're in the land of the living by the mercy and grace of God? How many times the enemy could have took you out, but Jesus said no. How many know that you were rescued just in time? 
You don't know how close you came to be taken out of here. You don't know whether you was on your last chance. He understands me. Come on, look at somebody and tell him he understands me. On Golgotha, we see a cross of execution. The cross could have weighed as much as 200 pounds. Got to remember, Jesus is in a weakened condition. And he gets some help from a, from a brother <laughs> named Simon. But what I love about it, amen, Jesus never quit. He never backed away from the yes he had given in the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen, through the difficulty and the shame of walking through those streets, humiliated, he kept on moving. Golgotha reminds us that although Jesus was almost beaten to death as he was scourged and painfully mocked and a crown of thorns was forced on his head, all of that was just the beginning of the ever-increasing torment that laid ahead of our Lord. But he had said yes. It had been settled in the garden. The soldiers would have um, thrown his back up against the hardness of that wooden cross. Large nails that looked like railroad spikes, only sharper, would have been used to nail him to the cross. First, they would have taken one hand and then the other hand and nailed him to the cross. Then they would have taken, taken his feet Amen. And they would have placed one on top of the other. His right foot would have been put backwards on his left foot and he would have been nailed in place. As the nails pierced his hand, as they pierced his feet, they would have severed nerve endings and excruciating pain would have cursed through his body, causing him to convulse in pain. Somehow I think we think Jesus didn't feel pain. But I want to tell you something, he felt every pain. When the cross would have been raised from the ground and dropped into place, his arms would have been jerked out of joint from the weight of his body and would have made it almost impossible for him to breathe. Psalms 22 and 14 gives us a glimpse. It says, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. And my heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Oh, how he loves you. <laughs> oh, how he loves me. The song says, he gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. On Golgotha. We see the struggle on the cross to breathe. Our Redeemer would have had to push up on those nails in his feet. He would have had to pull up on hands that were nailed to a cross just to catch a breath. He would have to push up and pull up just to catch a breath. Air was drawn in, but very difficult to exhale. 
Most often men crucified don't die from their wounds. But they die on their own internal fluids. They no longer, when they no longer have the strength to push up on their legs or pull up with their arms, they drown, they suffocate. The most common method for ending a crucifixion early was to shatter or break the bones of the person's legs so that they could no longer push up and pull up making it impossible to push up. They would, they would be, it would be the faint of Jesus if Jesus had not decided it's time to die. The fact that Jesus spoke from the cross and this Friday we'll hear the seven last sayings of Jesus at noon and at 7 p.m. The fact that he spoke from the cross in the condition that he was in let us know that even as the waves of pain went through his body, he was willing to sacrifice even his precious breath to minister to those around him. He would be willing, he loved his mother so much, he would be willing to sacrifice his breath. Woman, behold your son. Son, as he pulled up and pushed up, behold your mother. It would have been agonizing, but he sacrificed even as he hung on the cross. Jesus, he transformed that hill called Golgotha into a place of mercy. The cross was the place where mercy seemingly had no place. Until Jesus came. When one was condemned to the cross, mercy was no longer an option. But then Jesus came. It, it seemed to have been a divinely orchestrated situation, even that Jesus was hung between two criminals. Because Jesus is in the middle of two criminals. And when they nailed one hand to the cross, it reached to one side, one criminal on one side. And when they nailed the other one, it reached to the other criminal on the other side. It's as if he's reaching out to either one of them. You see, Jesus, is, Jesus used the cross to convert one of those thieves that hung there with him. D.L. Moody said that Christ, through him a passport <laughs> that took him into paradise. I wonder how's your passport this morning. Amen. I want to tell someone listening at home or in this room right now that even now his hands are extended to you. Even now his hands are still reaching out to those that will accept him. Even now his hands are reaching out to those who will reject him, slur and slander him. He is still reaching out. Golgotha was a place of mercy because Jesus was there. Golgotha was a place of death. This was the end of the road to those that were condemned to die. Death was the fullest sentence of death on the cross. 
And Jesus died on that hill. We must remember that he did not lose his life. He gave his life. There's a difference. He didn't lose his life. He gave his life for us. There's one thing for me to be sitting on my stoop and a stray bullet hit me and take me out of here. I lost my life. It's another thing for me to see the bullet coming and it would hit somebody in my family and I jump in front. I gave my life. Jesus didn't lose his life. He gave his life. And you know, he gave his life for you. He saw an eternity in hell separated from God. And he says, no, I'll take the judgment. I'll take the punishment. Because he, he said yes in the garden. Oh, bless his name. Those centurions that had crucified him, they had crucified hundreds before him. They understood death. And yet even they took the added precaution of piercing him beneath the ribs. And I'm not, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse, but many say that as they pierced him, they pierced his heart. Church, every time our eyes look up at a cross, it may be draped and suspended, but every time you look over my head or look over the preacher's head in this room and you see the cross, let it remind us Jesus gave his life for me. He suffered for me. He bled and died for each of us on a place called Golgotha. But Jesus transformed what was a place of shame and death into a place of mercy and life. Death came by way of Adam's fall through his disobedience, but life came through the obedience of Jesus Christ, the second Adam being lifted up. Not only is Golgotha a place of execution and death, Golgotha is a place of abandonment. Have you ever felt alone? Forsaken? You ever felt abandoned by those who seemed like just momentarily they were all around you? That was the reality of the cross. You see, the disciples had been with him for three years. They were with him everywhere he went. They went to his family's house. They went to his friend's house. They were with Jesus through all different situations in life. They were with him in Gethsemane. They fell asleep, but on the road to Golgotha, the Via Della Rosa, they said they would never abandon him. They said that even if it cost us our life, 
we're with you. And they're scattered now and they're in hiding. We often focus on the physical struggle of the cross, but there was an emotional pain that was heaped upon Christ that was only magnified by the physical anguish. One disciple abandoned Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and sealed it with a kiss. Another one of the disciples would deny and curse like a sailor to only substantiate, I don't know the man. All but one disciple, all but one male disciple. Because the sisters stayed with him through the end. They stayed with him throughout that time. They, these sisters that supported him, that went with him, prayed with him, they were at the cross and they were at the tomb. But only one of the apostles stood with him at the cross. John. Those he had poured his life into for three years now behave like they never knew him. You ever met anybody like that? Man, we grew up together. What's this? You, you don't know me now? You, 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 you got a suit on now. You, you smell good. You, you don't smell like the night before. Now you don't know me? They act like they don't even know Jesus. How often do we betray the Lord when we're faced with other options in life? How often do we abandon and forsake our Lord with our words and behavior that are so unlike Jesus, who we say is Lord? Jesus was abandoned by those who were the closest to him. He was forsaken by the world. There on Golgotha, our Lord hangs between heaven and earth, dying for a world that would forsake him, dying for a world that would reject him. But by far the worst of the abandonment of being forsaken was by his Abba Father. Even if but for a moment, we can almost hear the anguish in the cry of his cry from the cross out of that brokenness of knowing even heaven has abandoned me now. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus he experienced being forsaken by the Father but for a moment. Why? So that you and I could experience being accepted by the Father. He was rejected so that you could be accepted in time and eternity. And lastly, Jesus transformed that place called Gothgotha from a place of abandonment to a place of acceptance. On lonely Golgotha stood a cross. 
I think it was Larnell. He says, with my Lord stretched to the sky and all who kneel there live forever as all the saints can testify. He said, the cross is my statue of liberty. You know what it's engraved? Bring me, it says, bring me your tired, your poor. I'm so glad that the cross is my statue of liberty because it was there that I was accepted. It was there that I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there that whosoever will, let them come. And on our way to Easter, through the gardens of our Redeemer, remember this. There is no resurrection life without his redeeming death on that hill called Golgotha. And when you hear Calvary, think of Golgotha. And if it causes you to weep out of gratitude, you get it. You remember. I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet. Today, the arms of our Lord are still reaching out, offering life. The only one who can cross the bridge that Jesus has provided for you is you. The only one who can keep you lost in your sins under the penalty of God's judgment is you. The only one who can keep you from Jesus is you. Your family can't keep you from Jesus. The government can't keep you from Jesus. Your sins, amen, though they may be many, they can't keep you from Jesus if you're willing to come to him. The only one who can keep you from the life that Jesus died to give you is you. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. The songwriter says, we have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tiding all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the mountains, cross the waves. Onward is the Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And then someone put an ethnic flair to the song, to that old hymn, and added to the utmost. <laughs> Jesus saves. To the utmost, Jesus saves. He will pick you up, turn you around, place your feet on solid ground. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus saves. Said now if you're a liar or a cheater, don't leave. Because Jesus saves. Maybe you need to go and get a friend. Go grab a neighbor. Tell them Jesus saves. Because of a place called Golgotha. The door has been opened. That whosoever will may come in. Those of you that are in the room, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, the worship team said, bring me back to you. 
You know where you are right now. You know whether your life denies even knowing Jesus. You know whether the words that come out of your mouth and the behavior that comes out of your life betrays even knowing him. And today, maybe you realize the cost that Jesus paid because he loves you. And your desire is, Lord, bring me back to you. I've drifted away. Bring me back to you. I walked away. Bring me back to you. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if that's your heart's desire, you want to get closer to the Lord, just lift your hand. Just raise your hand and say, I need to get closer. Come on, I need to get closer. He knows already. Come on, he, I need to be closer to him. I've allowed some things to, to kind of get in the way. I need to get closer to Jesus. He gave us a living example of taking up our cross and following him. I need to get closer to Jesus. If you're at home, raise that hand and say, I want to get closer. I want to ask the Lord, bring me back to you. Draw me closer, Lord, to the place where you have died. That I might decrease and you might increase. Father, you saw every hand that was raised. You know the heart behind those hands. You know what's in our lives. You know where we've been, where we're going. I pray for each of those brothers, each of those sisters that are in the room or at home. I pray that you would minister grace to them. Thank you for grace. Minister grace and mercy. Search us, oh God. See if there's anything in us not pleasing in your sight. Cleanse us, wash us, purge us. But draw us nearer to you. We want to be where you are. Those that are at home, we ask the same. I pray for that person that has never said yes to you, never submitted their life to you. I pray there, God, even now that you would minister to them. You said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You said if we would come to you, you would in no wise cast us aside. You said with the heart we believe and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I pray right now for salvation to come to that household. Set the captive free in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now help us, Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh. Seal our hearts, dear God with the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would have the strength for the journey ahead. That our life, dear God, would, would shine, that we would be as a city on a hill, that our life, dear God, would tell the story that I've been with Jesus. From the youngest of us to the oldest of us, mold us and make us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for a place called 
Golgotha. In Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said amen. Come on, amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Thank God for Calvary. It's the same place as Golgotha. Amen. Never forget the price that was paid because he loves you and he loves me. Thank you for joining us this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and tag us in your social stories at C-O-G-E-N-Y. Thank you to those who have given generously to this ministry in the past. And if you'd like to become a contributor, head over to cog-eny.com. That's cog-eny.com. And just click on the offering and donations tab. Again, thank you so much. Now God bless.